So in keeping um, with the theme that David started last week when he quoted the Grinch from Dr. Seuss, I also am going to talk about the deep-rooted theological truths of children's cartoons. You know, I'm only kind of kidding when I say that because I actually do think that there is a really good reason why we return to these classic movies each year. Sure, they bring us some things like nostalgia. They remind us of our youth. They remind us of our childhood. But they also offer us a little bit more than that. See, I think that with these classic movies, they pull at these little threads of truth that weave themselves through the reality of our own lives, through our own lived experiences. You may recognize these two. A Charlie Brown Christmas first aired in 1965 and has aired every Christmas since. Some of you may have been around for that first broadcast special. Most of us have continued to watch this family favorite throughout the years as we head into Christmas. At the opening of the movie, Charlie Brown says, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way that I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. See, facing all the nostalgia, all the joy, all the sparkle and shine of Christmas, Charlie Brown finds that somewhere deep down inside him, there is still something missing. That so-called Christmas joy has failed to seep into the internal ache that he carries. And this is the same internal ache that many of us carry, especially this time of year. I think calling this movie a Charlie Brown's advent would actually have been a little bit more appropriate because it highlights these characters and their journeys on their way to Christmas. It is what they experience throughout the darkness of Advent that brings them to the true joy and the true understanding of what Christmas is. Now perhaps thinking about a children's cartoon that's about the darkness and the heaviness of Advent is maybe it's a little much for kids. But I do recognize that what I think these movies provide is that they resonate with audiences. They res resonated with an audience for more than 60 years. And we recognize ourselves in these characters. We recognize ourselves in these stories. Now some of us perhaps recognize also the failings of what we will call cheap joy. And cheap joy is the kind of joy that is only made up of the glitter and the excitement and the exuberance that builds through Christmas that come January will be rolled up and put away for another year. Now don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Christmas. I love the lights, I love the music, I love all the sparkly things that Christmas brings. But I also know that that kind of joy, it doesn't last. 
And it's not a joy that will carry us through our darkest nights. So when we light the candles on the Advent wreath, we light them not to blend in with all the other lights that we see around us at Christmas. We light these lights so that they will stand out. They will be a different kind of light. Now, when we look at these Advent candles, they may seem uh, a bit mysterious, perhaps an even random assortment of colors. Three purple, one pink, one white. See, I have a memory as a child um, seeing the Advent candles and feeling like it did feel random and a little bit mysterious. You know, I imagined that every year some person just reached their hand into some random candle drawer and just pulled out whatever assortment of candles they happened to get. But it took me a few advents to realize that the colors that we have are in fact intentional and they're not random. And that is what I've come to just absolutely love about a more liturgical tradition is that It is a safe haven from randomness. The world and its events, our lives, they are oftentimes filled with so much random, so much unexpected, that Advent is a sort of a refuge from the random. So today we lit the joy candle. And this is the the rose candle here. It's also known as the shepherd's candle. And the reason why we light that rose-colored candle today is because in the tradition, uh, earliest traditions of Advent, Advent was largely quite a somber fast. See, the days got darker and darker and darker, and before the darkest night of the year was upon them, they lit the rose candle. And the rose candle was to signify a little bit of a lightness of the season. It was a reprieve from the somberness and a reminder of who and what we are waiting for. So now we are, because of the way the weeks fall, more than halfway through Advent, we are entering into the longest nights of the year. Winter solstice is actually going to be on this coming Thursday, and that will mark the longest and the darkest night. So as we journey to that evening, we remember this joy candle that we have lit to get us through some of those dark nights. And then we know that once we cross over that Thursday night mark, that all the nights get a little brighter from there. And while the joy that is Christmas and the season and all the brightness and wondrous things that it brings has arrived for so many of us. For some of us, it will not feel like joy, but more of a burden. So like Charlie Brown, some of us also carry that ache, searching for the promised joy that Christmas brings and feeling like we're just not getting it. This is why we return to the text like we read this morning. 
Because often we arrive at this point in the year, if you're anything like me, you arrive at this point of the year and you tend to feel maybe hurried and distracted. Maybe you feel heavy with some of the burdens in your own life or the things that we read in the news and we hear about on social media. But Advent, Advent is here to reorient us to the promise of a new kingdom. See, this is the beauty of following the church calendar and allowing the church calendar to guide the year. It's to give us texts to read and pray. See, we will all arrive at this point in the year with vastly different experiences. You and I, we will have journeyed through very different things throughout the year, but still the words, the words that speak to us in these texts and these prayers, they will speak to each of us, each of our lives, and not just to us, but to a world that is desperate and longing for some good news. See, earlier we had that beautiful response of prayer, which brought together both Isaiah 61 and Mary's Magnificat. And Isaiah 61 These are the words that Jesus actually first preached in Luke chapter 4. Isaiah speaks of a coming kingdom. The kingdom that Isaiah describes is this beautiful exchange where we see the clothing of the broken being replaced by garments of healing and joy. For the brokenhearted, for those who mourn and grieve, those who are being held captive by the darkness. For those people, there is freedom. You see, Isaiah also is no stranger to the darkness. He is well acquainted with the impacts of war and disease and a world that is ravaged with oppression. See, most of us in this room, we live lives that are very far removed from the kind of injustices and oppression that Isaiah speaks to. However, I don't think that many of us could say that we don't know what it's like to be brokenhearted or to mourn. I love this line here. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. I think there's a way to read this text and only see large-scale injustices. Now, don't get me wrong. Please hear me when I say that I realize there are terrible things that are happening in this world, things that we probably could not even imagine. And they deserve all of the church's attention and, and prayers, and we need to and must keep talking about those injustices. But when Isaiah talks about release from darkness, it also includes the darkness that has seeped into our everyday lives. See, the places where we are held captive, Jesus wants to free us from those places too. Because the good news for the poor, it's good news for all of us. It isn't about the destruction of one group of people for the sake of the flourishing of another. It is wholeness for everyone, and the most vulnerable get to go first. 
So God, God is going to restore all that has been touched by darkness. There will not be one inch that darkness gets to hold on to. And that is our promise. And it's because of this promise that Isaiah cannot help but to praise and rejoice, not with a self-generated joy, but with a joy that is in response to the faithfulness of God. My soul rejoices in my God. See, for Isaiah, joy and justice, they come together. And these themes that we read in Isaiah, they are also then echoed in Mary's Magnificat. Now, I don't want to get very far into the weeds of exactly what Mary knew, exactly what Mary didn't know, but we can imagine, and it is safe to say, that when Mary cries out, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, that that is not nostalgia that ignites her. Nor does that joy spring forth from an absence of personal struggle. See, Mary has just been visited by an angel and told she would give birth to the Messiah. So it would be an unfortunate understanding of the person of Mary to assume that this joy is fueled by youthful naivete or this fleeting emotion that happens to come upon her and quickly slip away. It would be unfortunate not to believe that this joy that she feels is from a place of deep faith and of deep trust. And it would also be a flat reading of Mary if we didn't believe that she was dealing with an enormous amount of very complex emotions. But when your life has been filled with scripture and prayer, as we can assume Mary's was, it is training for our spirit to recognize what God is doing and where he is working. See, this is likely one of the most intense moments to date for Mary. And yet she cannot help but have joy pour out of her. She speaks of a kingdom that rejects value systems that are imposed by the world, a value system in which she is judged and which she will continue to be judged by. These words that are prophesied by Isaiah and sung by Mary in just a few short chapters will be the first words that Jesus preaches as he begins his ministry. See, the first thing that Jesus proclaims is good news to the poor, and it is freedom for the prisoners. The new kingdom that was to come is now here. It's kind of exciting to look at these texts and see how they move through time, from Isaiah and down through the generations and then to Mary and then on to Jesus. So in preparing for this sermon, I was really struck by the notion that oftentimes the stories that we tell around Christmas and the people that inhabit these stories, 
sometimes they become, because of our familiarity with them, a bit more like caricatures. They become so familiar that we imagine versions of them that strip their vulnerability and humanity. Mary becomes a mother figure, lacking in motherly embodiment. We imagine infant Jesus as already downloaded with the necessary information. We forget that he came vulnerable and reliant. And so I found this piece of art. I, I found it so beautiful and so captivating that I actually bought a copy of it for myself because it helped reroute me in the real flesh and blood of Mary and Jesus. Perhaps when we look at this image, this isn't the image that we expect when talking about Mary and Jesus at Christmas. Maybe this isn't the kind of image that we expect to see on a Sunday morning. But I, I think it's good to to ask ourselves why it catches us off guard, why it startles us. You know, we see this image, we see it all around. We see it in coffee shops, bus stops, shopping malls, and even here at church. And I think that if for us this image does catch us off guard, it does startle us, that this is really an opportunity, an invitation to sit and imagine and ponder the depth and realness of how human Jesus actually was. See, last year I attended a lecture with Dr. Willie James Jennings, and he talked about our comfortability with Jesus as teacher, but our unfamiliarity with Jesus as learner. Mary taught Jesus in all sorts of things that a mother teaches a child. She taught him how to eat. She taught him how to speak. She taught him how to walk. And she taught him how to pray. And I think about those nights where Mary would have lied in the darkness, feeling her belly grow rounder. And she would feel the kicks from inside becoming stronger, the discomfort, the wondering. And I wonder if she sang the Magnificat when she was in the darkness thick around her with restless slumber. And perhaps the very first time Jesus encountered those words of Isaiah's, my soul rejoices, where when he was nursing at Mary's breast, held tight to her chest, their hearts beating in sync, and as the infant Jesus was cradled, in his mother's arms, he would look up into her eyes and be soothed by the melodies proclaiming a kingdom of peace. These sacred moments, mother and child, and true joy amidst satisfied gulps and milky burps. So I know technically we're not supposed to be at the baby Jesus part of the journey, but if you'll forgive me for skipping ahead a bit, because I think actually it's okay to take a bit of space to remember what is ahead. 
What the joy candle gives us is a small glimpse of the true joy that is coming, a true joy that is so filled with healing that it will heal every heart, every crack, and every crevice of creation. See, Advent is here to point us towards Jesus, a Jesus who is not disinterested with our pain. He is not here to tell us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He does not ask us to mask the darkness with shiny ornaments and Christmas lights and just get through the season. True joy does not demand our happiness or insist on rushing through the darkness because true joy doesn't want to numb our pain. It wants to heal it. Now I know, I know that there are some of you here who are dreading the long nights and the darkness that they bring. I know that those dark nights are where the world slows down and where it stills to a pace where we feel the weight of the grief and the sorrow. So if you find yourself feeling a little bit like Charlie Brown and you don't feel the way you think you should feel and you you don't feel the way others think you should feel, then maybe it's just enough to know that you're not alone in that. That the joy that comes from Jesus is not supposed to feel heavy. It is not a burden. And if it does feel heavy, if it does feel like a burden, then it is not from Jesus. So as we continue to make our way through Advent, let's allow the light in. Let's allow the light of the Advent candles to continue to light the way through Advent and to Christmas when we meet here again next week to rejoice in the one true light and joy of the world. So in just a moment, David is going to lead us in Eucharist. But as we begin to prepare our hearts, I want to speak a blessing over you from 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. So, real quick segue. Um, We have our map here, um, like you guys probably have been familiar with over the last few weeks. We do have it labeled now at the front. You can see which way you will be released into um, the Eucharist lines, Um, and RJ will be at the front to release you. Also, like the other weeks, David, um, there's going to be two of the regular wafers on the side. David and I will be serving those. And in the center will be Tori, and he will be serving the allergy 
aware Eucharist. So just make your way to Tori if you require an allergy aware piece of bread. Um, I also just want to take a moment to remind us about this posture of receiving. I think this is a, a good time of year to practice that um, with everything we have going on and how busy our weeks are. It's nice just to come forward and hold your hands out in front of you like this to receive. And then if you'd like, you can respond with amen. And when you say amen, that's like saying yes. That's like being in agreement with everything we've prayed and, and sung and the ways that we've worshipped Jesus here today. Now, RJ is going to release you guys, but first we're going to have um, the youth come forward, and they're going to receive Eucharist first, and then RJ will release the rose and make his way back to the back of the room. Now, if you require, for any reason, to be served Eucharist in your seat, please just wave at RJ, let him know, and we are more than happy to come and serve you Eucharist in your seat. So now Holly will begin to prepare us for communion by affirming our faith with the creed. Believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. I'm struck by Kristen's words about the randomness of the world. And I wonder sometimes if one of the things that we love about Christmas, even the, the least Christian of Christmases, if that even is such a thing, that there's familiarity to it. The tree starts to go up, the decorations start to go up, cards start to be bought, presents are wrapping. And they're all traditions that we get involved in. And maybe your tradition is you wrap months in advance and then you remember that you've forgotten where you hid all the presents. And maybe your tradition is that you wrap on Christmas Eve and the midnight service is causing huge problems for you because that's your peak wrapping time. Somebody said uh, just the other day there, the great thing about Christmas for introverts is when people put their hands on the door handle of a room that you're in, you can just scream out, don't come in here. And people assume you're wrapping presents, but you just want a moment's peace. <laughs> you can have that tip for free. <laughs> but one of the things we're trying to do across our services this Advent is, is keep the traditions of the church present to us. Because if you hear what Kristen has taught us this morning, sometimes we need a tradition of a joy Sunday because otherwise we don't find the joy. We don't look for the joy. We don't know that the joy is there. And gathering around the table in Advent 
reminds us that the Jesus we're waiting for, the Jesus we're hoping for, is also the Jesus who's with us. At some level, the church's message is always Jesus is coming and always that Jesus is here. And so as we lean into these traditions, and as you know, we've been trying for a while now at Westside over the last sort of year to keep Eucharist more central because Jesus is the center of our story. To slow down and take Eucharist more, more calmly and more reverently because the world tells us to rush through everything. So our invitation to you today is actually everything that Kristen has spoke to you about. Our invitation to come, find the joy in Jesus, be served, piece of bread dipped in a cup and remember that God is with us. And so perhaps all you've got strength for today is to come and receive. That's the most joy you can muster is to walk to the front and hold out your hands and be served by somebody that wants you to know that you are loved. Somebody that wants you to know you are cared for. Somebody that wants you to know that you are not alone because that's what Jesus wants us to know. So let me remind you this morning that our table is open because it's not our table, it's the Lord's table. And all of us as pastors are here to serve you, not because we are serving you, because Jesus wants us to remember that he is always with us. It is the Advent message. But as we come to the table, let's remember that the table is a place of prayer and, it's, and, and the world is bigger than just us. So I invite you to join your voices with mine at the bold moments of this prayer. And let's just bring collectively our voices and our hearts towards God as we pray for ourselves, for the church and the world. So Lord Jesus Christ, we await your coming. We wait filled with hope. Your light will shine in the dark. We wait longing for your peace. We wait in anticipation of joy. We wait in need of your love. Lord, we wait. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful God, may Mary's song echo through the ages and across the world in our time drowning out the din of violence and chaos. May it be heard by victims of war in Gaza and the West Bank. May it ring in the ears of the traumatized in Israel. May it sing in the hearts of refugees in Lebanon and Jordan. May it be a rally cry of peace for the war weary of Ukraine. May it be an earworm of hope for all displaced and in despair. May it nourish hope in the bellies of those who are hungry. And may it be a song that stirs reverent fear in the hearts of those who assume power. May Mary's joyful prophecy of justice and blessing fill our hearts and empower us to action. Lord, in your mercy, God of hope, you call us home from the exile of selfish oppression to the freedom of justice, the balm of healing, and the joy of sharing. Make us strong to join you in your holy work as friends of strangers and victims, as companions of those whom others shun, and as comforters of those whose hearts are broken. Make us joyful for the good news of salvation and keep us faithful in your service until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we offer our fervent prayers. Amen. And the scripture teaches us this about the table, 
that Paul, when he gathers people together, he writes to them as to how he invites us to the table. And he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So therefore, we, God's people, proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And this is the table of the Lord, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And perhaps as we read that, old Celtic invitation, perhaps in somewhere in your heart, you find yourself thinking, well, that didn't really leave anybody out. And that's the point. Everyone is welcome to join Jesus at his table, to confess him as Lord and look in hope for his coming, his coming this Advent. So these simple gifts are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we, God's people say, thanks be to God.